Hey everybody, what's going on? It is Thursday, October 8th, and you are listening to a new episode of What's Up With Danny. Um, yeah, happy Thursday. Hope everybody's having a good day so far. Uh, today's guest is Phil Myers. Uh, you might know him, you might not. I know him. He's a great guy. Um, and it was really great to sit down and talk with him. I actually hadn't seen him in quite some time, uh, before we recorded this episode, it was really nice. We hung out for, you know, a little bit of time before we recorded and after we recorded, caught up a little bit. It was great. Um, probably could have recorded, you know, the entire few hours that we hung out, but that'd be kind of lame, right? I wouldn't be a very good friend if I just invited my friend over and was like, hey, you mind if I record this entire conversation for uh, my own personal reasons so I can show it to everybody? Um, that wouldn't be being a very good friend. Uh, so I didn't do that. We just talked for an hour, like the typical episodes. Um, this is episode four of season two. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's been so long since I've gotten into the swing of doing these podcasts. I'm, I'm getting back into it, but it feels like I, I took a really long break at it. And so I kind of forgot how to do these intros. Um, and, and I don't have a lot going on, what with COVID and whatnot, so I don't have anything to promote personally. Um, there's no ads in this episode either. Um, there is, however, a few featured artists, um, in the episode. Uh, we put a few songs up in between clips here. I think you just listened to one. Um, I can't remember which one I set to play first which is embarrassing. I should have written it down so I could acknowledge the artist, but the info for these artists will be, uh, in the information on the episode. So if you, if you like any of the songs you hear, uh, we'll also put the link to the Spotify playlist for the So Muskegon album, uh, S O O Muskegon. Um, but yeah, Phil's a great guy. He's a hard worker. One of the most determined people I've ever met. Um, real inspiring guy. He just wants to help people, uh, and help his community. And I, I really enjoy talking to people who feel that way. Um, we talk a little bit about, oh, what did we talk about? This conversation was a week ago. Anybody that remembers a conversation they had with somebody from a week ago is, is a genius or a crazy person. Uh, but yeah, no, we just, we talk about music, uh, quite a bit, uh, what his goals are, some of the things he's hoping to achieve, some of the things he has achieved, uh, we talk a little bit about our our little adventure into uh, trying to sustain a local music venue uh, and the group of people that we worked with and some of the, we just talk a little bit about that and how fun it was and what it meant to us. Uh, yeah, overall, really great episode. Like I said, I love getting together with Phil. Um yeah, the links in the info for this, you know, we'll put a link to the So Muskegon uh, playlist or album from the documentary that he made. Um, I'll put some links to Phil's personal music. He's, he mentions in the episode that he's not a huge fan of uh, having followers, but I'll put his information on so, his social media information up there if you, if you uh, like what he says and you want it in your life more often. Uh, but yeah. I think that's really about it and the recap of the episode. Uh, Danny.baruch.shows at Gmail. Comments, questions, suggestions, you know the deal. Um, 
if you want to be on the podcast, feel free to reach out at that email too. Uh, if you have something you want to talk about or promote or feel passionately about, uh, hit me up anywhere. Um, yeah, uh, rate and review, subscribe, send the link to the episodes to your friends. Um, I, I try to interview really cool people who I really respect. And sometimes I don't know them too, but by the end of the conversation, I really respect them. Um, and I, and I just want, you know, these people's messages to be heard. So just spread the word, spread the episodes, uh, help these people get their points across to more people. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say. Uh, normally this is the moment in the intro where I would promote, promote my band's shows and whatnot, but we don't have any shows. Uh, so I guess I'll just say, listen to Hexing, uh, Hexing MI. Uh, dot Bandcamp or on Spotify, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that junk. Um, Tim is a band. Dot Bandcamp, Spotify, um, wherever else you listen to music. Probably, honestly, I listen to music on Spotify. I don't. I know that's not great from a musician standpoint, but from a consumer standpoint, oh, Spotify is the best. I love it. I don't care that we make point zero 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 one for every song or whatever it is, but um, you you gotta love being able to have songs at you know just the press of a button. Um, Spotify is also a sponsor of this podcast. Weirdly enough, they're not featured in this particular episode, but they are. They will be. Their ads will be in other episodes. I you can count on that. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm just going to shut up and let you enjoy the episode with Phil Myers. I'd be going to the bathroom and and that's going to sound weird if it starts with me saying that, (laughs) Uh, but I was, I'd be going to the bathroom and I would pay attention to everybody that didn't wash their hands, especially if they came out of the stall. Yeah. And I, I would start going around and I'd be like, Hey, don't shake hands with that guy yeah right or don't like don't look at that guy in the eye because he's he's gross he didn't wash his hands he just yeah. took a shit and didn't wash his yeah, hands yeah. like not to be maybe a little bit to be kind of a jerk yeah. deep down somewhere yeah <clears throat> but overall i'm like i'm not gonna shake that guy's hand i yeah, should I don't let want, yeah. people know that they, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. that's a gross trait to have that is as a, a gross person, trait you know it's kind of like have you ever seen those uh cart narcs Mm. Or they sit in parking lots and they wait for people to not return their carts and then oh. they confront them yeah. before they leave. Like, right on. Hey, why didn't you return your cart? And the mm. people get all pissed, like, "Hey, leave me alone, man!" Yeah. You know. <laughs> I do. I do not. I. That is a bugaboo of mine too. If I'm ever at the grocery store and I go to park somewhere, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I can't park here. There's a cart. Yeah, there's carts yeah. in the way, or yeah. like if it's a windy day, a car can just blow across the parking lot and hit your car or hit somebody else's car or. Back when I lived in uh, Norton Shores area, well, it was more like Roosevelt Park, I guess. Yeah. Uh, people that aren't from Muskegon are going to have no idea where that Same is. Same thing, but, essentially. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> they're like, uh, there was uh, Henry Norton, that corner right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was on out for a run one day and I w- ran past a cart and it said Meyer on it. I'm like, how the hell? Right. <laughs> did, did that cart make it all the way? It's about a mile away from Meyer. Like, yeah. how did that cart make it all the way out here? But I assume maybe somebody probably pushed it or something. You know, I'm sure the cart like. But that yeah. that would be one of those interesting Pixar 
like shorts, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, the like story the, of like the, the shopping cart, cart that drifted away. Yeah, the lonely cart. <clears throat> I oof, that's an idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. Like brave little toaster yeah. type of story. Pitch that to them somewhere. Yeah. Find an email or something sometime. Well, it's kind of like that kind of like ties into like we were talking about about belief systems and how everybody just kind of follows their own rules you know and like how they go about learning new things is different for everybody you know what helps them finally flip that switch that says oh shit i should just be responsible and put the cart back right right. it's kind of similar in society with all the different ways to live and operate and communicate with each other Mm -hmm. especially with social media and where it's at now yeah it's like the shopping cart and the hand washing thing is like a common similar thing amongst all societies. Everybody's at a different point and right. what where their awareness is and what their understanding is. Yeah, I think for me, like that little silly situation with the hands, like yeah. the washing and me going around telling people at work, "Hey, that person." That, yeah. Like, I, I there's part of me that is thinks about it too much, and I'm like, well, I guess yeah, maybe. Maybe, I mean, I don't know who they are. Maybe they just don't believe in washing their hands. You Maybe. Know? I mean, like, I can't really judge them for that if that's how they feel about it. I might think it's gross myself, but they can't really judge me for thinking that what they're doing is gross. Just like, I guess I can't really judge them for not washing their hands, even though now it's become this thing where it's like, okay, yeah, washing your hands is pretty yeah. important. Yeah, it's pretty important now. <clears throat> I think it's like, um, I'm a big believer in practicing humility. I do it quite often. I'm not afraid to humiliate myself. I'm not afraid to go against the grain and and, and speak something that I know is going to upset people. Right. And um, it's a practice in a form of humility to me because I think it is it's something that helps keep me grounded. And um, from what from what I've learned from practicing humility is that's that's one of the strongest forms of learning mm-hmm. I've ever learned in my life about how s- society responds to things, mm-hmm. right? So, like, maybe the guy at your work needed a moment of humility at some point in his life to come to his senses and be like, hey, it's, you know, maybe it's a polite and respectful thing I can do for society just to be one more person that regularly washes my hands right you know so i'm a believer like when i think about that scenario like well maybe he needed that moment of humility in his life to to change his pattern or correct his pattern maybe that's the thing where he finally realizes and he flips the switch in his brain and says i need to correct this pattern Mm -hmm. like where do you sit with like being comfortable i don't know if that is like a weird question but uh like do you get what i mean like maybe like there's times where you feel comfortable but you get sunk into a mindset so you're comfortable with it are you talking like comfortable in my person and my skin type of thing yeah i i would say so i mean because we're kind of talking about like uh belief systems and like your mindsets and where how they kind of gradually sink in and that if you don't change aspects of your life throughout time you'll stay in that that same that same lane yeah, i guess kind of like tunnel vision type of thing and so i guess i guess what i mean i guess is more like do you see so you can kind of see the benefits at times of feeling uncomfortable, uncomfortable yeah. or being made to feel uncomfortable to maybe get a new perspective yeah i've seen i've studied like a lot of very successful people 
And the thing with most successful, like extremely successful people who do really well, they have like a horrible story that they came from, right? They overcame crazy disadvantages to make it to where they were and they became successful. And that's not a comfortable route for anybody, right? You know, and it's never going to be. Um, you know, if you want to, if you want to step up into a leader type of role, which is, you know, where my life kind of naturally directs in is like, um, a leadership type of guide role. I mean, even if we go back to the donuts collective and the donut hole, that was my idea. I sought out all the people to be involved with it because I, you know, sat back and looked like, okay, who's actually executing in the city and doing something? And how can I bring them all together under one place as opposed to being scattered all across the city? Um, so I think, you know, a part of the, yeah, just becoming a, a good leader and a good, good person in your community is like going through some of that uncomfortableness of figuring out what makes you that, mm. you know? Right. Yeah, and I, that, well, it's funny you bring that up because that's something I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about during this yeah. too. And because that, to me, when I think back to that, that little like era of time that I don't know how long, maybe eight, eight or nine months. Yeah, together, yeah probably we all were. together from when we first yeah. started redoing the building. And I, and I think about that and I, and I was thinking about it when we kind of started talking about setting this up and mm -hmm. how I, I can still kind of remember meeting i i think we met initially maybe at was it your house or was it sean's house maybe could have been one or the other yeah because yeah. at first it was my idea and then i brought mm -hmm. sean on yep. and then him and i basically like wrote up the whole business plan mm -hmm. and came up with the, just the whole idea about making this collective together and, and then we took it from there yeah and i remember thinking i i was like because this this is probably right before i really kind of started taking the shows seriously and you yeah. know more more than one venue at a time more than one show in a day yeah. type uh booking and like i remember thinking man I've, I've always wanted to do something like this but i feel like i've never I, i've always tried to do it alone and have found myself to be unsuccessful over time yeah. despite you know maybe i things i did wrong things from the community that i wasn't you know necessarily give, getting help with as far as like how the bands acted or how the people coming to shows acted because yeah. those were issues too but yeah. I and and when we got that group together it was it felt weird how in sync we were yeah it, it worked really like, well like it I think we really well. had a, something going there like it, it's unfortunate the way that it all kind of came through yeah but. it is and uh you know at some point it is like it's still my my lifetime goal and achievement to to open up an all ages studio or uh all ages music venue because um because it personally benefited me so much when i was younger mm -hmm. and i wasn't the the type that's going to go play sports i didn't have that type of organization in my life and music gave me that type of organization you know, we had to have band practice once a week. Otherwise, we're going to suck at the show that we're mm -hmm. playing. And then we start playing shows every weekend, you know. So it's like we got band practice and a show, mm -hmm. you know. So it was like a part of keeping a structure right. to life that 
now looking back on it, I didn't think of this when I was 15 or 16 living in it. I didn't think, oh, great, I have structure. Right. I was just living, you know, it was just part of it. But it guided me and gave me structure. And now when I look back on it, I'm really grateful for it. Oh, definitely. You know? And those safe places, like the all-ages venues, were always run by really responsible people who were looking out for the teenagers. Right. You know? And so having that as somewhere that I can go as somebody who didn't really fit in with the popular kids at school, as somebody who didn't really fit in with the jocks and the sports and, and all of this. And I was like artistically creative my whole life. So just kind of outcast. Um, you know, I have friends or whatever. I wasn't a loner, mm -hmm. but I wasn't a part of any of like, I didn't like going to prep rallies. I didn't feel school spirit. Like none of these structural things fit me right. in my personality and then music. Right. It's like first it was skateboarding and then music came along and it was just like, you know, mm -hmm. an obsession right. ever since then. Yeah. It is interesting that, that. Well, you know, different perspectives, because I'm sure there are a lot of people who aren't involved in music that, you know, they see it as a, a hobby or like a, yeah. you know, like a just a project or something. But it, it is strange. You never really think about it because it's just there. But yeah, the the we I like my bands, we practice Wednesday and Sunday. So like one band Wednesday, one band Sunday. Yeah. And I never really think about the structure that that does bring to my life. Yeah, like, exactly. Because I, you know, I look forward to them every week. It gets me thinking. It gets me creative. It gets me out of that norm that I, you know, work, eat, sleep. Work, eat, sleep. Yeah, exactly. You know, it gets you out of that, which isn't, you know, it's not a bad thing to have a norm, but... You got to have being, something that excites you. Yeah. And, and to be honest, you have to have it regularly. Mm -hmm. You know, and otherwise that, you start feeling weird mm -hmm. you know you start sinking right and forcing myself to be creative two days a week does a lot more for it's me great than, to challenge yeah you know than just you know the same routine every day you know yeah definitely um, yeah i love it man i and, and and i think it's really really important because back in the day there used to be a lot of all ages music venues mm -hmm. there was java the hut there was the loading docks in north muskegon there were the halls like palmer hall mm -hmm. Um, the other one up on, where was it? There was another hall I saw a whack truck show there once. Mm. And it was in like Norton Shores somewhere. Okay. Um, there were the parks. You know, like there were just all these options. There was venues in Grand Haven. We had Skeletons in Grand Rapids we were going to every other weekend. Um, so there were just all these avenues and there's just all these reasons to stay out of trouble. Mm. That was it. Like I didn't, I didn't drink alcohol until i was like like re regularly like party and stuff until after high school right so i was so busy with music right the whole time i was going to school i had a part-time job i worked at mcdonald's and uh i had band practice and then shows and then if i it, i started booking shows when i was like 15 or 16 mm -hmm. so then it became i was booking shows and contacting bands and you know so there was like always constantly something to do it was never a moment of like Oh, I'm bored, mm -hmm. you know? Now, very rarely do I have somebody that comes on that also has a history of booking shows. And so yeah, yeah. now I'm excited to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, what do you get out of booking a show? Or like when you were, you know, booking local gigs? And Man, so I'll what, tell you, what did you get out of that? One of the first experiences I had um, 
where I was like, wow, this is amazing when I booked the show. Um, there used to be back in the in the day, there used to be a website called Book Your Own Fucking Life. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was like a DIY catalog of show promoters from all over the country. Right on. But it was all DIY underground punk. Right on. Or hardcore. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of alternative genre that was going on in the 2000s. So we started using this website um, to contact bands from out of state. Like bands could post their information. If it was a band from D.C. or New York or whatever, they could post that they're, hey, this is how you contact us if you want us to come play a show in your town. Or the promoters would post their, like, hey, we book shows. They get like 50 to 100 people um, at this place, whatever. This is who you need to contact. And we had, I had a version of that when I was in high school. I think it was called Indie on the Move. I don't yeah. know if it's the same idea. Yeah, same. Yeah. Yep. yep, same idea. Yeah. So I started using that and I got in touch with this group called A Warm Gun. And we started communicating back and forth. And I really liked their music. It was like the style of punk music I was really into. Um, And we started communicating back and forth through the website. And then they were like, hey, we're coming through. Uh, We got a show in Chicago. And we were hoping we could get a pickup date, you know, before or after, whatever's open. So I set up a show at the Fruitport Library basement. Right on. And uh, with a warm gun. And they were from... Massachusetts and it was it was just unbelievable because the, everybody loved them it was and, and it was that moment like man I put all these dots together and everybody had a good time mm-hmm. because of that the actions that I that I did that I chose right. that I picked right and so it's kind of been like that driving force is like every time I I, I do one of these events and like each time it grows bigger and bigger like my ideas get more crazy and off the wall Mm -hmm. um but the whole thing is just like how much can i do you know like how much can i get away with right that's that's how how i feel and it's like this invigorating thing like how much can i do how big can i make it without all the corporate sponsorship just me doing my thing and being the person i am Mm -hmm. you know yeah that that it was a big thing for me was just there, there was a time where I was booking shows because I just liked music. Yeah. And I wanted to help out bands, but then it turned into, over time, you know, like, and even even in recent years, hearing stories from people who would regularly attend shows that I booked or play shows that I booked, hearing you know, a couple people met each other at a show and yeah. got married. Yeah, you know, that's years amazing. Later, like something like that, that's and amazing. It, and it might be a little selfish to think, but I'm like, no, like I. I like that's a ripple effect somewhere for me. in here yeah. the hard work that I put in for these things that I cared about yeah. these two people met each other and like you know started yeah. a life together that's amazing that's, that's, amazing that's so beautiful and I and I never I wish in the moment I had thought that yeah at the times when I was you know heavy well, and back so at uh, Donut Hole when we first started Donut Hole the um, the dude you're in bands with oh Tra- uh, Jordan maybe Trevor Trevor? Trevor, yeah. Yeah, Trevor, what's his last name? Uh, Swanson. Swanson. Yeah. Trevor Swanson and that whole, like, connection. And there was a band, I think, that formed with Trevor mm, out of yeah. the people who showed up at the don- yeah. Donut Hall. Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. So, like, watching that happen, it was just, like, amazing. And then with the Donut Hall, it was so cool because, like, you booked completely different shows than I booked, mm. Sean booked, 
um, Rochelle and Travis book. Mm-hmm. Like it was all different, and like you said, it somehow it all fucking worked together, mm-hmm. and then it was like creating this platform for a community to grow out of, and right. then we saw the ripple effects. And it only like the venue only lasted for like five or six months mm-hmm. of shows. But I I still think about all those those shows and those yeah. times and all and like the people that I met in that short time just through there they that would come regularly to things yeah. like that I had never met in the years doing shows prior to that. Like I, it was amazing. And that's, that's something that I think about now, like, or even just like when I was, do, you know, doing shows at Temple House, I know we, we did a yeah. coat, coat drive one, one year for in the winter. Yeah. Or, and, and I think when we finally, it all was said and done and we brought all the coats to the rescue mission, it was like somewhere like $800 worth of coats that's or amazing. something like that. And so I, we, you know, just from us, you know, getting together and playing some dumb songs in the basement, not to put them down or anything, but yeah, you get yeah, what yeah. I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. This idea that seems so silly and little, like, no, that was the reason that people got, were warm that winter. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? or, yeah. Just like, it, it, it's cool to think that you can have this thing and be real passionate about it, but also, yeah, make a difference yeah. very low key in your community. Yeah, the trick is with these things is try not to get co opted. By somebody with bad intentions, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's often what happens with a lot of these scenarios. And I'm 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 getting very fucking good at spotting these fuckers right out the gate and getting rid of them. Um, and that's part of like, I'm not sure how much you pay attention to my Facebook, and I'm not offended if you don't pay any attention to it because I do post a lot of fucking crazy stupid shit. But part of why I do that is because I want I don't want these fucking people riding my dick. I don't want followers. I don't want uh, to be idolized. I don't want any of this shit. What I want to do is execute my ideas. And if people can help me get there mm-hmm. or they can benefit me in some type of way to execute one of these big ideas, then I'm totally open to work with them. What I'm not open and what I don't like is when these talkers come around. And I'm sure you're very familiar. Mm-hmm. People come and talk and talk and talk. Ideas, ideas. Oh, we got to do this. And they talk and they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So part of my like whole thing is just like, if you have this energy, you're going to be attracted into one of my posts. And you're, you're not doing anything to benefit me. I can already see 10 years down the road, you're long gone. Mm-hmm. So just like, here, let's cut ties right out the gate. Right. That's where I'm at now I'm mm-hmm. at because I've been talked in circles and I don't have time or patience for it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the things about setting goals or having goals and having things, ideas that you want to come to fruition is a big part of that is, yeah, like cutting out that negative space out of your yeah. world. You know, you can't you can't bring in the positive if the negative holds you back, you know? So I think, and that kind of, I think when you talk about, I mean, nothing personal, I'm not on Facebook much, so I don't yeah, see yeah. a whole lot of Yeah, Facebook. no, again, I, it, it's something I, that I, know I try people to don't, stay away they from. They unfollow yeah. me, they don't want it, you know, and there are people who like what I post and there are people who don't, and I'm not offended if somebody doesn't pay attention to me. I just, I post a lot and I say a lot. Well, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the being comfortable yeah. and seeing like you That's, might, you yeah. might post things that, yeah, people might be uncomfortable with, but it's challenging them yeah, in a way exactly. that they weren't expected to be challenged. And exactly. that isn't necessarily a bad thing at exactly. all. Exactly. When it becomes a bad thing is when it turns into the attack and the poke holes. 
and that's that's where like I, that's not part of my strategies mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm doing these things or whatever is I'm like I'm not trying to poke holes in your belief. I'm trying to understand. Right. I'm trying to figure it out, and at the same time, I'm also trying to to destroy the illusion of a caricature caricature of me. I don't want to be caricaturized, you know? Like, I don't want my, my things to be exaggerated into something they're not. Right. Um, so a little bit of it, you know, is like protecting myself a little bit. There's like many layers to this onion and why, why I, I act the way I do. And then also, like, I know just, again, through studying history and studying, like, everybody in the history books was a controversial-ass person. Mm-hmm. They were saying things that nobody believed, and now we all believe it, mm-hmm. right? Right. I'm one of those people, and I understand, like, part of changing the world for the better is saying something that is unbelievable. Yeah. Because then that moment, the ripples that come off of it, it suddenly becomes believable, and then it becomes doable. Right. Yeah. No, I think that I, I, I can appreciate that point of view and I, lo- I like the, the way that you talk about the ripple effect and it's not something that we take into account yeah. to how a lot of what, we've, what we're shaped from is a ripple effect in some way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, everything. I mean, even to our basic functions we learned as a child, brushing your teeth, tying your shoes. Right. These are all mirrored things. Mm-hmm. We, we learn them. Right. Um, so a lot of these behaviors and stuff with like people arguing with politics and shit right now, these are learned. They're using, they're mirroring and they're parroting strategies mm-hmm. that they've seen work somewhere else. Yeah. And so now, oh, here's my opportunity to use that strategy. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize like a lot of times these strategies are fucking awful. They're like very brutal. Yeah. You know? Well, and I, I think a lot of that has to do, yeah, well... <laughs> Obviously, you know, where you were born, where you come up, you know, the people you surround yourself with at a young age, that in your formative years, that can put you on a path somewhere that might lead you to, you know, not have an open mind to things or yeah. like even be open to the thought that someone might have a different opinion than you, you yeah. know. And I think the beautiful thing that we might have experienced through music or just, you know, the industry in general, like <sighs> with the travel, where you get to meet all kinds of different yeah, people. Yeah. And it, and it you allow you're allowed to see that okay, the world is different than my little pocket in West yeah. Michigan. You know, yeah, like very different. And it, and it, it's crazy to really think about. Like I I've met too many interesting people that are just from different parts of the country. Yeah. That if I hadn't met them, my mindset might still be a little bit different yeah. today, depending on. A good example subject, of that but. is uh, I travel the South a lot mm. for this job that I do. And so I go to a lot of different communities in southern states. And my whole history, up until I got this job and I started going to these communities in the south, was that the south was full of white racist people, right? I started going to these all-black communities in the south. Very nice schools. I'm one of, you know, one of the only white people at this event. That totally flipped my whole understanding because I didn't know that existed. Mm -hmm. And then I come back here and I was like, you know, talking to some of my my black friends and I talk the way I talk. I'm not like, 
I do a lot of great things, and we'll get into it, for the black community here, specifically the underprivileged black community. So when I'm saying this, I come from, like, I actually talk to, to black people, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. There's, I, there's I so understand. many arguments that could be made yeah, and like how you talk and the linguistics of it, yeah. but when, I'm just talking like a normal fucking person mm-hmm. when I'm saying this. I came back, and I told all my black friends, like, Did you guys know there's, like, full black communities doing so well in in southern states oh i had no idea yeah because we all thought the same thought yeah that it's in and again there are racist white people in the south i've definitely gone to those communities yeah and felt very uncomfortable in a gas station over some comments made Mm -hmm. you know i've definitely I've, i've seen that i've experienced it i know there's in southern states there's names of streets that are named after like Grand Wizards of the Ku Klux Klan and shit like that. I know it's all still there. Right. I know it. But what I didn't know was was that there were thriving black communities in the South. Mm-hmm. And and like Atlanta, black people are the majority. They are not a minority in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Right? Right. So it's like, until I start moving around and, and experiencing different things, and like, I've always been open. Mm-hmm. Um, like even back in, like I was in, the punk scene as a teenager and the punk scene had all these different cliques. There was like pop punk and political punk and the fuck shit up punks and the Nazi punks and the, um, ska punks there. And they all had their own little clique and their group of friends and whatever. I went to all of them. I was friends with all the people in Grand Haven. I lived in Spring Lake. I went to Fruitport. I was friends with all the people in Muskegon. I went to all the different, like I was, a part of all of them. I went to their parties. I went to the, hung out with the straight edge kids and played Nintendo. Like I was interested in them all. I didn't like, to me, that was like community, you know, like we all have our different pockets and our things that we like, but like, I'm not afraid to go over there and talk to them and be a part of what they like, you know? So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's kind of like that. I might've got off track on that rant, but the the idea is is just like I've never been a closed off type of person that's like kept to myself. I've always been a person that, like you can go all the way back through my history with people. I've always been a very social person. I've always like put myself in really challenging positions, and uh, I've challenged a way a lot of the ways that I think the world was mm-hmm. over time, and I've come to a lot of conclusions now that I'm 35 and I've experienced mm-hmm. a good amount of stuff. Um. Yeah. Nice. That was a good rant. <laughs> yeah. Um. Don't mind me just looking at the time here. Yeah. I like to keep track of it so we yeah, know where yeah. we're at. But uh. But yeah. No. I think. Oh, I had a point I was gonna make, and then I checked the time. That happens more oh, often yeah. than not. Um, um. But yeah. No. I think. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about um. What you do in the community as far as music goes, because yeah. we've already kind of talked about it with the donut hole. You kind of assembled this team where you were paying attention and you were watching, and and you and one of the things that I've always really respected about you is when you, you like when you know you're recording acts or you're looking around finding these different acts that are in Muskegon that maybe nobody would have ever heard about and you're giving them a shot or you're mm-hmm. helping them find their opportunity and things like that. Yeah. And I've always really respected that and I think that's important as far as a scene goes. You know, you can't have a scene if you're not a musician who's willing to help out another musician. Yeah, you know? it's and, a network. 
and like what is what does that sort of mean to you to be able to find these acts that you truly see are doing something that you believe in and sort of be able to give them a platform or try to help them out i mean it's incredible because it's like <clears throat> i think back i had a lot of people help me when i was young um rick johnson from the whack trucks from like, he now plays bass and mustard plug he's he been a, on here yeah. he does a bunch of amazing things Love he's amazing uh very very smart guy mm-hmm. um he helped me learn how to book shows. Mm-hmm. So one of the first shows I wanted to book, I think, was a Whack Truck show um, with Whack Trucks and the Mies. So I was in a band called the Mies. That's where Phil Me comes from. Okay. And the Mies and Whack Trucks would play like the Ice Pick and sell out every time we played. It was crazy. Nice. It was, like super fun shows. Mm-hmm. And we complimented each other's bands really well. We were really young. They were the older dudes playing like polished, perfect rock music. And we were like the young young dudes playing like ska and punk and like doing Operation Ivy covers and shit like that. Um, so we complimented each other really well. So then I started talking to Rick because we were building this, this relationship, networking and whatnot, playing shows together. And I just started asking him questions like, how do I book a show? And then he started telling me, well, if, you know, a lot of bands, especially like us, we're going to ask for a guarantee. I was like, what's a guarantee? You know? And then he just, he explained everything and nicely to me. You know, he didn't attack me. He didn't make me feel dumb because I didn't know anything. He was right. just very open and willing to help me. And there were many figures like that all the way through my teenage years. And then I transitioned into rap music and then it was a whole new group of people who came along to help guide me and show me the way and so now i'm just repeating that ripple effect from all those mentors that showed me how to do it and i'm just doing it in my fill way so it's it's an incredible feeling because like for example i work with this artist named sleep so focused Mm -hmm. a rapper from muskegon and a rapper and singer and i've worked with him for five years now when i first met him he was an incredible talent i was like totally blown away like how does nobody how does nobody know about this artist mm-hmm. and now everybody knows about him um in the rap you know anybody interested in rap basically in this area from here to holland to grand rap everybody knows about him. he's got a steady following um about two thousand. you know analytically looking at the analytics and the statistics for how much how many streams and everything he gets he's got about 2,000 dedicated core fans right on which is fucking amazing for this area I've never seen anything like it ever and I've been doing this like since the internet started (laughs) well that's pretty solid yeah it's solid right right around West Michigan here yeah Yeah, that's pretty solid yeah so it's you know it's taken five years it's taken a lot of failures a lot of you know learning experiences well we feel like you tend to learn the most from from the failures failure. yeah. yeah so they uh for example you ever heard of those like um like artist showcase things where like the art it's like 150 bucks oh, you get, yeah you get to play for five minutes mm, yeah yeah they're scanned things like that right? yeah, you know I, yeah they're scanning right they're, yeah i don't you know, buy into those yeah. a whole lot right they, so, they have a very like they're not the same thing but they have a very battle of the bands vibe yeah. Where they just wanted to get a bunch of bands together so they could sell tickets. Yeah, and they get, get the all their money. friends and yeah. take the money and give them a, oh, here's a gift certificate for $20 off exactly. a pedal or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like, 
So, uh, you know, one of one of his his close friends signed him up for one of these, and I knew full well, like, no, it's a scam. Mm-hmm. But they got to learn, mm-hmm. you know. So part of the experience, like, all right, let's go out to Detroit. So we packed like fifteen people in a van, drove three and a half hours out to Detroit to play five minutes in this club mm-hmm. and walked away with nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a good night. It was a good bonding night for the group, but it was also a good lesson. Like, all right, let's not pay those showcases any attention because that's not the move. Right. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. part of part of being, part of helping them was not stopping them from doing something stupid because you, you got to learn. You got to, right. you know, stub your toe once in a while. I That makes me think of... It was, and it actually happened at the donut hole too. Um, there was this band. They were a bunch of kids. They had a lot of heart, but yeah. they uh, just were a little bit too sure of themselves, I yeah, guess, yeah, yeah. right away is a good way to put it, I think. And they had this show, and um, it was their first show. And I said, okay, you know, it's your first show. You guys are going to open. Yeah. You know, tell all your friends about it, you know, yeah. promote it, come, you know, play 20, 25 minutes take your stuff off the stage and then hang out that's yeah. you know that's what's expected of a young band for their first yeah, show hang out know? meet people try to try to network and the one of the guys in the band um i don't want to say names i don't want to yeah like, that's yeah, right I, yeah, but yeah. uh he was he was a little upset about having to play first and i said you know this is uh you know this is just what happens you know yeah. you got to work your way up through mm-hmm. the the ranks you, you know prove yourself like like my band started off opening shows my band's got 15 to 25 minute sets opening up a show and yeah. being the first band and we grew from that yep. and they you know they wouldn't let it go and they said well we we brought all our friends and everything we're gonna, and they, they did they brought a good amount of people but they were very much wanted to play last because last is the quote headline yeah you know you you glorify that last spot thinking it's gonna be great yeah and i you know i it might have just been an off day for me but i was i was just annoyed and tired of hearing it so i said all right you guys want to play last go ahead and play last and i think the show was a monday or something yeah and they so they weren't going to play until you know 9 30 10 o'clock is when they were going to go on and on a monday people are staying super late and so what ended up happening was i and i feel like lakeland ended up opening the show because they were supposed to play oh, last okay. yeah, yeah. you know because they made sense yeah. <laughs> and so i i got to with the lakeland guys say hey i know this isn't ideal for you guys because you've been a band for a few years and yeah. you're used to you know having that last spot yeah. but i kind of want to show these kids that just because you play last or just because you think you deserve something it doesn't always work out that yeah, way right so i said do you guys mind opening the show if it plays out the way I think it's going to, which it did, yeah, people are gonna leave at nine or nine thirty because yep. they have to work in the they've morning. They've already they, seen Lakeland. Yeah, and they've seen that band that they were coming for. That they'll leave, and everybody will. They'll maybe something will click in their head that yeah, yeah. it's not what they thought, and that is exactly what happened. Lakeland played. The touring band played, and then this band went on last and played to. I don't know, maybe seven people, yeah. including their close friends, yeah, and like their maybe their pa- a parent or two, yeah. and then the rest of the bands that were there. So maybe like twenty, twenty-five people yeah. altogether, but not where but the show was. But if they would have played was. the Lakeland spot, yeah. they would have played to 
yeah a bigger crowd definitely well and then all their friends they had to leave they were a younger band so yeah their friends had school the next yeah, day right and yeah. so and, and then afterwards it was it was funny because i ended up talking to one of the uh people in the band's dads about it and i said yeah it, it, you know this is just sort of my way of maybe kind of showing them yeah that and and he he was all about it. Of so, course, and yeah, I think yeah. and he you know might have had something to say to one of the kids in the band or something because after the show they came up to me and said that same person I had been talking to said hey I want to apologize for the way that I acted yeah, yeah. In coming into this show and humility said, man it's yeah. a strong motherfucking powerful tool yeah it really is it I I always remember that it, it definitely like made my perspective shift too. think and made me think about how I might have acted when I was younger. Yeah. How, right. Yeah, yeah. And how, like how much I had learned over time. And I, like, you know, what's cool about the punk scene is that headliner thing never really, that was never really a thing. Cause it was like, you know, part of it was like playing in areas that don't have stages mm -hmm. on purpose. Yeah. You know? Um, so it was never really a part it, what was what tended to become important when organizing the arrangement of the bands later in the row when we start bringing in touring bands was mm -hmm. putting the touring bands in front of the crowd mm -hmm. at a prime time. Oh, definitely. But the art scene was kind of blessed because it wasn't like people would leave earlier shit like mm -hmm. that. It wasn't like that tor that typical type. It was like two three hundred kids would show up and they'd stay there for the whole thing and then we'd all go to the rendezvous after oh yeah you know i i remember countless johnson hall shows where there'd be st a stupid amount of bands 15 bands yeah and they'd go they'd go till one or two however late johnson's let us do shows and yeah. i i was still there at one o'clock one thirty because yeah. that last band was still gonna play and yeah. I, I wanted somebody had to be there and yeah right them, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just it's funny to think about like all the different dynamics it is, yeah. and things yeah it all right is. we're coming up on about 20 minutes left and i still want to talk about so muskegon so yeah. um let's talk a little bit about that and what that project was for you and how it came to be i know it was you, you and darby correct kind of uh like... darby i just was somebody i I just reached out to mm -hmm. for the documentary oh, okay part of it yeah um, because he has an extensive history with his family in specifically muskegon heights mm -hmm. um and so he could give a good perspective of the timeline mm -hmm. um so i reached out to him because i knew he he knew the timeline okay. that i was trying to portray in the film mm -hmm. um yeah, so, but the whole thing is me, 100%. I, I did the film, the editing, the music. To give people an understanding who aren't familiar, what I did was a pop-up recording studio that was only open during the month of December in 2019. And I uh, provided... So the idea was to attract all local rappers in. It was free. I was there... 20 hours of a day I would go home and sleep for four hours um, I had a full catalog of locally produced music by pro local producers all beats mm -hmm. instrumentals and so the artists would come in I would give them a little tour there were like two studio areas set up um, there was a practice studio and then studio a which was like this is where you go to track the song after you know like you got to get one of us on the team I had two people helping me. You got to get one of us on the team. Let us know that you got a song. You got to hear it and then approve it to go into studio. Sure. Um, so basically the idea was we wanted to make a Muskegon compilation that was completely produced 
by Muskegon artists, completely written by Muskegon artists, and completely performed by Muskegon artists. And so we successfully did it. We recorded like almost 40 songs. I had over 200 artists come through. Wow. Um, and then I documented the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, I turned it into a full-length documentary film, which you can find on YouTube by searching for So Muskegon. So is spelled with two O's. You can also find the So Muskegon compilation on iTunes, Spotify, all okay. that. Um, but the whole idea was like, I want to create the foundation that creates the ripple effects mm -hmm. of uh, to, to, to build a healthy scene. And I know that's bringing people together and getting them creating together. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea was like, let's, let's make a workshop, essentially. Like, anybody can come here with an idea. And if it's a cool idea, let's put it to work. So that's that's what happened. It was an amazing experience, and there were a lot of really cool things that happened um, during the project. So, like for example, these are things that I didn't plan for, I didn't expect, um, but they happened. So, it the location was on Glade Street, which is right on the border of Muskegon Heights, but is a Muskegon Heights address. It's a pretty neutral area that I that I opened this pop-up recording studio in and for people who aren't familiar there are in Muskegon Heights and in downtown Muskegon there's there's some lines drawn between different neighborhoods and it's been that way for a long time um with with you know kind of like gang activity and shit like that so uh, Muskegon is one of the most deadliest city Muskegon Heights is one of the most deadliest cities per capita in the state of Michigan and you know top 10 i think on the in the country is pretty crazy there's a lot of violence and and murders and shit like that so <clears throat> i didn't expect this to happen but what happened was a young person that was part of gd groups um gang and then a young person that was part of the blood gang and from different blocks in Muskegon, one was, you know, downtown, one was uh, a different neighborhood, um, Jackson Hill over by here, um, which is, it's, there's like, I'm telling you, there's like multiple neighborhoods and there's like lines drawn between them. They stay over here, they stay over there, they stay over there. I wasn't like super aware of this, but I've been active in um, the black community, so becoming more aware and 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 starting to understand more but this really opened up my eyes because what happened was these two young men who should be enemies because they're from different blocks and they're part of different gangs and five years ago um you know might have been doing some dumb shit to each other right. were they became great friends in this studio they had never met each other. They would have never met each other if it if it weren't for me opening the studio. They met each other and they made some of the most beautiful music out of any of the people who came in there together. Hell yeah. They became super, super, super friends, man. They were like best friends. Like, and then like they were both like super interested in everything going on. Wanted to hang out every day, be a part of it. They wanted to learn. So I put them in engineer positions. So like one of them would run as an engineer for one day. The other one would run for an engineer the next day or they'd somebody would have a session like hey my homie this is my homie i want to do this session yeah whatever 
but this like beautiful relationship between the two of them and then like all these old school um people from Muskegon Heights downtown and stuff that know the history start pulling me off to the side like hey bro you realize you're creating like a a peace treaty between different neighborhoods right now like I had no idea so like all these people are coming to me like hey man really good work you're like and that was something like I would have never dreamt of I would have never planned of it was not anywhere near my strategy it was not even in my fucking thoughts at all right not even the threat of you know like having different neighborhoods and shit like none of that came into my mind right no that's beautiful and like this beautiful thing happened out of it so it's just like um again it goes back to like your 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 original question like why do you do this is for moments like that where it's just like damn my my thing causes ripple which you know like fuck man i might be responsible for somewhat for the history of a of a peaceful Muskegon Heights in downtown. Yeah. You know? No, that's great. Yeah. I think like, and it just kind of shows the beauty of creation and what things like, like those two people from the same place, but different worlds, you know, come together and they create this thing. And that is just what they needed to bridge that gap, so to speak. And that, that's kind of the beauty of art in itself. I think not to get too, I don't know what the word is, but just like like to get deep on it. Yeah. But, but no, that's that's amazing that something yeah, like that could happen. It's incredible, just, especially unintentionally, like it yeah. just sort of happened the way it did naturally, like that. But that's what happens when you open up a place and allow anybody to come through. Yeah, yeah. And another, you know, another thing is, is like, I I got I had to battle with the police department a little bit because notoriously in this area in Muskegon, the police do not like. The Muskegon Heights downtown crowd. And there's a history of violence and there's... I understand. They're hard to control. Mm -hmm. But the difference between the police and me and what I was doing was I gained the respect of the crowd. And the police do not. You know, when the police show up and break up their parties or their whatevers or the whatevers, they're not gaining the respect of the, the people in the community by doing that. And, and what I was doing was gaining the respect. So it created this safe environment where, you know, maybe the police officers watching it thought it was a dangerous environment. But because I had the level of respect and because I had other people who had been around this area for a long time backing me and saying, this guy's legit, like, I gained it. You know what I mean? So I, I became in position uh, where I can make some change. If I'm allowed and if, you know, the trust is there from our city and our government and shit like that. And then, like, I want to get more active and involved. Like, I'm actually trying to do really, really great things and I have success so far. And I would like to continue and grow and make it bigger. Yeah. Well, that just sort of goes to show, like, you know, you give respect, you get respect. You know, that's, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, not to go a little off subject, but last night there was, you know, that I about maybe... 10 30 11 o'clock around here big group of people outside um maybe 10 people or so yeah shouting yelling making threats you know yeah. just it got it escalated fairly quickly and i was listening to it and then all of a sudden i hear a couple car doors slam 
car drive off real fast and I go and I'm like, well, what's going on out there? I look out the window and a couple of police officers had pulled up. Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, I kind of, I just kind of wanted to watch, not to be, you know, a gawker, but to make, yeah, yeah. you know, like with the things that have been going on. Yeah, now, what's going know, on, yeah. It's like, okay, well, if something goes down here, like, there, I feel like maybe I should watch just because lately things have in the world haven't been great. This, yeah, I didn't yeah. know if this was going to be another one of those things. And I'm, I'm watching them, the police, you know, they come up and they stop a car from backing out. They say, no, stop the car. And they kind of raise their voice a little bit at them. And, you know, the, the, it doesn't really escalate. People get out of the car. You know, they put one guy in cuffs and start kind of searching people, searching the cars. And, you know, the entire time, these police officers, you know, they're they're doing their job, but they're not, it doesn't seem like they're really taking the people very seriously that are out there. And over time, you watch these people who the cops are sort of searching and they're not taking them very seriously. All of these people that were just screaming at each other and at each other's throats were just acting and showing these police officers whether or not they agreed with what they were doing. They yeah. were just showing them like, you know, look at my car. We're we're just right, here, yeah. you know, we're just being people. Like yeah. if you need to do what do your thing, you yeah, know. Yeah, right. They showed this like respect to them and then the it was wild. I was watching this all unfold and then after at the end they were all sitting there talking about the basketball game. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and I and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, Wow, this like my in my mind I'm thinking this is gonna be this might be something shitty. Yeah. And then just like watching these people just be people. Yeah, and talk, and they they ended up somehow finding a common interest, and yeah, and then they're spent, shooting the shit. And they spent, you know, probably a half hour. I'm I'm like, okay, this is nothing now. I don't yeah. need to be an observer in this. And I yep. laid in bed, and I could hear them all talking about the game and yeah, everything yeah. like that. And I'm, I'm like, there's something beautiful in that. After having seen the events over the past few months and everything, yeah, because you build up a a belief system mm-hmm. around it. And, and, you know, again, it gets into, like, I, I use the, the caricature as, like, a metaphor. It's, like, exaggerated parts. So, like, a, you know, my own example, like, I've, I've gone out to, I, I, we were filming a video for Sleep, a music video. And so we, we wanted to make this, like, Muskegon-based video, so we were going to a bunch of places in Muskegon to shoot in front of, shoot video in front of. And, uh... So we we're at one one bar in the Heights and everybody's like, oh, there's this party, house party over in Hoyt. So we go over and there's so many people. Like the whole street, they're out in the street. They're like all over the front yard. There's so many people, so many people. The cops show up. It's like two in the morning, three in the morning. They're partying in the street. Cops show up. Totally chill. Yeah. Right? They they it, The whole thing was a strategy. They slowly start to creep in with their cars and they get out and they start kind of walking around like hey time to go yeah hey time to go totally polite at one point the cop was like in the middle and people are trying to get the cop to dance with them and <laughs> shit you know and it just like humanized the whole thing mm-hmm. right in front of my eyes yeah it was like man these people are just out here they're just saying you can't party on the street at right. two in the morning right. these people are just drunk and having a good time right and they're just trying to politely get them back to wherever mm-hmm. so they can go home and go to sleep right and it was just like totally calm and chill. My problem with police officers, specifically in this area, is the Norton Shores Police Department. I feel like Norton Shores, 
needs to relax a little yeah when it comes to how they profile things and yeah. how they interact with things because that, that most of the problems I see are North Shores and I would like to talk to them about it and I would like to work with the police officers when I do things I would of course I want my events to be protected and safe and all of these things sure. but if it's you know it's got to not be in a profiled type of yeah they got to meet you somewhere yeah we got to compromise yeah. on this because I yeah. am doing something great mm-hmm. and and uh, I do want it to be safe I do want to create safe environments I don't want to be feeling at risk of anything mm-hmm. uh, so at some point, you know, I'm gonna go into Norton Shores because that's where that's where my problem lies. I feel like Muskegon Heights Police Department does a fine job. I feel like downtown, and um, I've never had an issue with Roosevelt Park. It's always been Norton Shores. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I'm gonna go into City Hall and you know make some antics happen. <laughs> <laughs> right on. All right. So we're coming up on about five minutes left. Yeah. Um, Briefly, and it would probably be a little bit hard, but I, I'd like to kind of ask you what your goals are just for what you want to do in the city or maybe even for yourself in yeah. the next, you know, five months, five weeks, five years, yeah. you know, if, if, and it's not enough time, but yeah, briefly. No, no, it's actually um, plenty of time and uh, I can articulate it well because I just finalized like the, the next step that I'm going to take. <clears throat> um, so I'm in uh I'm I'm in the process of opening a production studio slash office okay. um, in the MySpace buildings over on Getty. Okay. Um, and what I want to do, are you familiar with like um, the podcast No Jumper? No, I don't think I am. Okay. Well, it's just a podcast that interviews mostly rappers and shit like that, but it was reaching out to underground less notarized rappers, mm-hmm. you know, um, and interviewing them. And it became a foundation for them mm-hmm. um, to grow off of and get a new audience. Uh, so I want to part do that. I want to part do... Have you ever seen those colors videos on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Where it's like artists and they're in front of their backdrop. There's a microphone hanging. They do a live performance. Oh. It's like all colored behind them. Oh, no, I haven't. Like all one color. It's beautiful. Right on. There's like so many cool artists on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do something kind of similar to that and I want to do production artist development Mm -hmm. so my next goal is to essentially uh, a couple of friends and I are getting together we're going to create artist development classes this is something I want to turn into a nonprofit and get into schools Mm. so like the whole idea is to find who you are as an artist so you can make the best version of the art that you're trying to create and through a series of strategic questioning and, and things like that, we're going to get to the core of who the artist is that we're working with and how we can help them create the best version of their art. Right on. Um, so the idea is we want to bring in an artist and work on a song from scratch. So we'll start with a conversation in long form podcasts, mm-hmm. you know, maybe two or three hours. And we just talk about all the shit the artist likes all the way back to their childhood, their first memories, what it, you know, mm. what it was that drew them originally to being an artist and what sounds they like, what, you know, specifics, very specific stuff. Like, what specifically do you like about this song? What was the first thing you heard in this song that drew you in and was like, I have to listen to this song a hundred more times. Mm. 
and then narrow it all down and create it. Really? Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I think that would definitely help a lot of people too. Yeah. I think that's one thing like with art, you you don't really know unless you try, but it, it takes you so long to really find your voice in yeah. art. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think that, that could be a beautiful thing, developing that with people who are yeah. interested. Might even keep them interested longer than they thought. Yeah. Um, well, hell yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on and doing yeah, this. Yeah, thanks for having uh, me, dude. What's... Uh, what, what, how can people follow you on the internet? Um, I hate having followers. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Uh, if you really want to, you really think you're into how I talk and how I maneuver, you can find me on Facebook, Phil Myers, or uh, Twitter, Two Feel Great at Two Feel Great, the number two. Um, Twitter is mostly me politically ranting, so if you're not into that, do not follow it. Um, it'll be very toxic okay. to you. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just find me. I'm around. You right on. And so Muskegon, the compilations on spot streaming service. Yep, all streaming services. Apple. Just search so Muskegon and so is spelled with two O's. Okay. If you just type in a simple Google search, it'll pull up the the documentary and the album. Nice. Hell yeah. Well yeah. Thanks again, man. Yeah. Thank you.